Finally, what y'all have been waiting for. Probably not. Who knows? Anyway, episode 7. Today we're going to be talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because we're in the Advent season and I feel like there's so much good, radical, subversive stuff in the Christmas story. And Mary is just one of them and she requires at least this episode. So let's get started. Welcome to the Gumberza podcast, where we explore the intersections of social justice, faith, and action. I hope this helps us continue growing and serving God by serving the people. I am your host, Janelle. Here's things that may be new to you. All right. So, there's something about Mary. Where do we start? Um, so... Let's start with the basic stuff. Mary is always recognized as the mother of Jesus. She's usually defined by birthing Jesus, so by her relationship to a man. And she's usually, well, she's always written through male eyes as far as the Bible goes. Uh, We don't know much more about her. Some scholars do think, though, that from her mouth comes one of the most subversive passages in the Bible, the Magnificat. Luke Chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Alright, so stepping into the story of Mary, the Magnificat, the song she sings, comes after Mary is visited by the angel who tells her that God has chosen her to bear a son, Jesus, who will be great. Um, Mary questions what the angel tells her. The angel tells her that God will take care of things and that her relative Elizabeth, even though she's past her childbearing years, according to the Bible, is pregnant. Uh, For nothing will be impossible with God, the angel says. So this story has always sat uncomfortably with me. For years, I'd been viewing Mary as not having her own choices over the matter, right? But Mary responds, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, Let it be with me according to your word. Mary chooses to to be part of God's plan. She chooses to surrender, and in her surrender to God, she's actually taking a stance, making a stance. Mary says yes to God. Mary says yes to being part of God's promise and presence in the world. And we see another subversive act of Mary here. Her surrendering, usually seen as weakness, is strength. She knows what a threat this may be to the social order. Mary at this point is a young girl, a teenager. People usually say 14. Uh, Because of this and various other patriarchal factors, the image of Mary is often that of a demure, quiet, obedient girl. 
and the symbol of Mary has been used to oppress women. Mary as uh, seen is used often as the symbol of an ideal Christian woman and it has created unattainable standards for women. Mary, through a patriarchal lens, is seen as obedient to this male God, offering her body for his will. And this way of seeing God in Mary has had a huge impact on how we view women today. Sometimes getting caught up on what a perfect Christian woman should be, it causes some of us to focus on her simply as a pious woman. woman. Uh, we sometimes end up glossing over what a strong, prophetic, and militant Jewish woman she was, making it easy to miss out on the politics that she lifts up in this song that she sings. Mary's family has no wealth, no social status to boast of, yet she declares is that God is going to do something that will scatter the arrogant, will bring down the powerful from their thrones, lift up the lowly, fill the hungry with good things, and send the rich away empty. And that's some pretty hard and heavy stuff for a poor oppressed girl to declare. But she's also a survivor. She has that uh, survivor spirit so steeped in her people's history. Mary's song repeats some of what is written in Isaiah, a complete overturn, uh, a shift in nature. The declarations Mary makes comes from her history, from her culture, and her community. She adds her own voice to it, though, building off of what her community has said and taught her about God. Um, another song that is sort of like the Magnificat comes from Psalm 113. Uh, you can go look that up if you want. And also Hannah's song. Hannah, uh, the mother of Samuel, when she gives birth or when she finds out she's pregnant with Samuel, she also sings a similar song. And so Mary is echoing a tradition and the similarities between Psalm and Hannah's song and Mary's Magnificat is that they are all about the overturning of power. They're all about breaking the weapons of those in power. They're all about uplifting the lowly, uplifting the poor. So this isn't something, this isn't a new idea for Mary's community, right? She takes what her community has told her about God, has taught her about God, what they have experienced in their history, and she articulates through song what God means to her, especially in light of her current situation. Her song references back to the reversals named in Isaiah, named in Psalms, named in that song from Hannah. It lifts up the lowly, brings down the rich and the mighty actually revealing that there is a relationship between the two. The fact that this is often echoed and contrasted, that the, lift, the poor will be uplifted and that the rich will be brought down. Uh, some people might say it's a little bit of a socialist message there. Um, a reversal of power where one is uh, related to the other where uplifting the poor is related to the rich being brought down and when the rich being brought down is also related to the poor rising up you can't have one without the other according to these songs mary's song is rooted in her people's history mary is sharp enough to recognize how the birth of her child birth of jesus will threaten the social order as they know it at that time. 
given that context, she was intentionally chosen by God to birth God's promise, and she also made the intentional choice to step into God's promise. Her song talks about God's past and present deeds. We are reminded that not only does God have a promise for our future, but that God has already done great things and is doing great things. The way that Mary speaks is in the present tense, not necessarily in the future tense, but things that has happened is happening and has already happening. Wait, that is already happening and things that have happened before. This is all part of an ongoing story of God's story of redeeming God's people. And her song expresses her trust in God and in her own role as part of that story. In Mary's story, it says that the first thing she does after she accepts what the angel tells her is that she goes to the hill country. She goes to the countryside to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. The first thing that she does is to be with community, to be with someone who understands. What makes her pregnancy radical even before Jesus arrives is that Mary recognizes her pregnancy as part of bringing about God's promise. This moment is already bringing about the reversal of the status quo, surrendering as a way of stepping up, supporting each other in a way that liberates, the rich being empty and the poor being full, reversal of the male spotlight to the voice of a woman's, even if it's just for a moment. These are reversals that impact concrete material conditions. This is not just a spiritual declaration. Mary, around 14 years old, was radical even before Jesus, and that's why she was chosen to birth him. Many see her virginity as an emphasis on purity, and this has been problematic for women and oppressive, and perhaps in our modern times, maybe we can think about Mary's virginity differently. The whole thing around... uh, Jesus being birthed by a virgin is not a new story. It's not a new story in the context, socio-political, cultural context of the time. This was actually, uh, the virgin birth story is actually something that's always been applied to emperors. Uh, We're talking about the Roman Empire. It's been applied to emperors. It has been applied to those of high status. Um, There are legends written of Caesars, of emperors of the past, being birthed by virgins. This is not new. The thing is, though, that Jesus was a poor peasant. And to give a peasant, to give a poor person, the myth that's designated for people in high status is an act of resistance, a story of resistance. To say anyone else but Caesar is divine. To say that anyone else but Caesar is God, is resistance in that time. So I wonder if we can change how we view um, Mary's virginity, not as about her purity, but as a reminder that she doesn't have to wait around for anyone to help bring forth God's promise, not even her husband. And I hope that it reminds us too that we don't have to wait around for anyone to help bring forth God's promise as well. We don't have to, as people have said, we don't have to wait for the next Martin Luther King. We don't have to wait for the next leader, the next individual. We can act. We can participate. We can live into our faith as she did. And we can also go find community and do this work together. 
So I, growing up Protestant, uh, I haven't really looked at Mary this much. I haven't really put that much thought into Mary and who she was. And I think a lot of that is because the churches that I grew up in were, um, had this, just perpetuated this patriarchal standard for who Mary was. But if we look at Mary, if we look at her words, her words of resistance, her words of overturning the status quo, and not just in a spiritual sense, but in a material sense, um, then I think we have no choice but to see her as someone who saw herself as part of a movement. And it makes total sense to me why she would be the one chosen to birth another revolutionary. Not only to carry a revolutionary in her body for nine months, to carry the divine in her body for nine months, but also to raise a revolutionary. This is why Mary was chosen. She, in her own right, was a revolutionary as well. And Mary's story reminds us about how it's the poor, it is the peasants, it is the masses, they are the ones that move history forward. They are the ones through which we know God. Through which we know God as a loving God, as a God of compassion, as a God that... Um, as a God whose main concern is for those who are considered the bottom rungs of society, the bottom rungs of, um, yeah, political power and economic power. It is through the seemingly mundane parts of life that God is made known to us. And it should be the same way with revolution as well. Revolution has to manifest itself through different aspects of our lives, not just in rallies and in protests, although those things are cool and those things are fun and those things are inspirational, but revolution also has to manifest in how we relate to one another. It has to manifest in how we do the things that we love, how we do the things that we don't love, and um, even in the very human miracles of things like birth. Thank you for your patience. Uh, thanks for hanging with me this whole time. If you're still here, if you're still subscribed, thanks for listening. Please share. Please review. And um, peace out. Serve Christ. Serve the people. <laughs>